So, I'd like you to put your hand up if you've ever had a crush on anyone in your life. Anyone? Keep your hand up if that person is still in the room. Okay, all the hands went down and you all started looking a bit embarrassed. How many of you remember when you were a kid, and I know some of you still are younger, how many of you remember the talk? Anyone have the talk with your mom or your dad? Okay, some of you didn't have the talk. Some of you have given the talk to your mom and dad, haven't you, you know? <laughs> when I was growing up, we had a book, my mother gave me this book called Peter and Pamela Grow Up. It still is available on Amazon if you want it, okay? It was written in 1975. And I still remember, as, as uh, whatever age I was, uh, Mom showing me this book and turning the page, and there's a picture of Peter. And look what's happened when he's 13. And I'm like, Mom, please put it away. This is painful. And I remember that, the whole talk thing. Uh, and we're going to have the talk this morning in church, okay? We're going to have that sex talk. And can I say that whenever I write a message, I'm praying, God, what do you want me to say? And the second thing I'm always thinking about is, how will people hear this? And I often picture some of you in my mind. And how would so-and-so hear this? And as I started to do and prepare this, this over the last couple of weeks, I've been thinking, well, how would that person hear this? And, how would that? And, and before I knew where I was, there were so many different categories of people that will be here today that I got a little bit swamped. Because I realised that for some of you, as you listen to this, you're thinking, this is really painful to hear this. Some of you will be really intrigued. Some of you will be thinking, but this isn't really relevant to me. And there are so many different categories of people here this morning that I want to do a disclaimer right from the beginning. I cannot cover everything in this subject in the time that we've got, okay? So if I don't touch on a certain issue or subject, you think, well, you haven't talked about that or that or that. I'm really sorry. I'm going to do my best to tell you the heart of what I believe God wants us to hear about this really important subject. The start of uh, this morning's service, uh, Dan Jones, wherever he's gone, He's gone somewhere. Did a great job up there. He is. Did a great job of Addicted to Love, a song by Robert Palmer. I think a little round of applause for Dan because I think he did great. It was touch and go Thursday night, wasn't it, Dan? It was touch and go, but we pulled it off. But the, the reason we did that is not to promote that kind of song, but because we wanted to do some cover songs that would open up some themes. And there's a line in that song that says, We might as well face it, we're addicted to love. And I kind of want to work with that phrase because I think that that phrase is really important because we might as well face it, we are addicted to sex. I don't mean as individuals, although you may be, we as a society are addicted to sex. What I want to do this morning is to use some visual aids, which when you're doing a talk on this subject is... (laughs) Let's make sure I've got the right... Yeah, we're okay. And, and to, to, to prove that we as a society are addicted to sex, here is a bottle of shower gel. But ladies and gentlemen, this is no ordinary shower gel. This is Lynx. Now, guys, if you, I want you to listen up here. If you use this in the shower, three things are going to happen to you before the end of your day. Number one, one of the things that may happen is that scantily clad, beautiful women all over this desert island are going to run in slow motion across the island just to be near you if you use that shower gel. Number two, this might happen. That again, beautiful women are going to career with cars, crash into buildings, get out, not smile because they're far too mean and sulky and sexy for that, only dressed in, in skin-tight leather, and they are going to climb over the buildings and over the cars just to touch you. Or the third thing that might happen is that amazing looking angels are going to drop out of the sky, walk through fire, their wings will fall off and they just want to be near you. Now I have to tell you, I've been using this for 20 years. That has never happened to me. 
Never once. I don't work at all. But it shows you, it shows you that as a society, we're totally addicted to sex. Do you know between the ages of 13 and 23, sociologists say that you are likely to see over 100,000 sex acts on TV or movies between the ages of 13 and 23. So in those formative years where you're trying to work out your sexual identity and your values and what you believe about sex, you're going to see 100,000 sex acts on TV or movies. Our attitude in musically has changed loads. Some of you will remember, I don't. Some of you remember the 50s and when Elvis started waggling his hips around. That was the start of a whole change, a seed change, if you like, in music and in sexuality. And then, of course, there were the 60s and, and then on, then now. And um, people that do studies, the annual British Social Attitudes Survey said that 70% of people now think that premarital sex is acceptable. Less than a third would say that homosexuality is wrong. But in the 1980s, half of people disapproved of premarital sex and three quarters of people felt that homosexuality was wrong. Views have changed drastically over the last 10 or 20 years. The marriage rate is falling at an alarming rate. And something that's really close to my heart that I think is a really big issue is the move to redefine marriage. In fact, we've, uh, many of you have signed the petition and we've sent that off to number 10. And on Friday, I was meeting with uh, our MP, with James Morris, and really good chat about loads of issues from Europe to the economy to local issues. And we talked about this and I said, I have to say, I am deeply concerned about the government's move uh, to redefine marriage. And he encouraged me to write to him and that he would get that message through. And so I'd encourage you as well to do the same if you are uh, concerned about that. We're not political as a church. This is not a political statement. This is a statement of about values. We live in a radically changing society when it comes to sex. Would you agree? Our society has become obsessed with sex. We might as well face it, we're addicted to sex. And that especially affects our young people. I think it affects all of us, but it especially affects our young people who are growing up in this new reality. Listen to this. This is Becky's story. Becky is 24 years of age. She says, I had a normal childhood. But as with many teenagers, it says when Becky was younger, she worried about her looks, what people thought about her and whether she'd ever get a boyfriend. After being bullied at school and developing severe insecurities, she took more drastic action than most. She started having sex with strangers that she met online to try to boost her confidence and persuade herself she was attractive. Becky says over several years, from the age of 15 to her early 20s, she slept with about 40 men that she met online. I'd meet them in the nearby town and we'd go somewhere I knew no one else would really know me. Depending on the time, we'd either have a hotel room or if they had a car, we'd drive and park up somewhere. She says she didn't think about the risks at first, but that changed as she got older. I became a lot more aware of the risks and how dangerous it can be, she admitted. It was addictive. It was addictive just to feel good about myself for two or three hours. But then she says this, but after anything had happened, I'd always go back to feeling horrible about myself. So I'd always go back and end up doing it all over again. And that's because, guys, we live in a society that is obsessed with sex and doesn't understand that sex is not the real issue. It's what's underneath. It's our need to be accepted and valued. And that only comes from a living relationship with God. And so we have this culture, whereas our culture defines sex now as primarily a functional act 
a recreational act and something that everybody does. And if you don't do it with a lots of people, somehow you're abnormal, inadequate or weird. I want to declare this morning, God's view is that we are not to be addicted to sex. God would say to us this morning, we might as well face it, we're created to love. We're not addicted to sex, we are created to love. And out of that, sex is a fantastic thing that God has given us. And so I want to just say three things about this this morning and then talk a little bit about response and application. Number one, I want to say this morning, sex is a good thing. Do I hear an amen? That was from the men, I think. Sex is a good thing. Uh, 1900, I want you to picture 1900. And uh, this is the diary of, of a lady called Lady Alice Hillington. Obviously posh. Lady Alice Hillington. And uh, she wrote in her diary, I am happy now that Charles calls on my bedchamber less frequently than of old. As it is, I now endure but two calls a week. And when I hear his steps outside my door, I lie down on the bed close my eyes and think of England. (laughs) And that kind of attitude to sex, that's not what's in the heart of God. Sex is a great thing that God has given us for three main reasons. Firstly, for procreation, for the creativity and bringing children into the world. And can I just say, we have another baby arrived in church this week, Dan and Claire Fong. I've had a baby girl called Bethany and everyone's doing fine. So that's fantastic and we celebrate that. But sex isn't just given for the procreation of children. Sex is also given for our pleasure. Believe that that's what God would view it as. Proverbs 5 verse 18 to 19. May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. May her breast satisfy you always. Do I hear an amen on that? (laughs) I'm going to look at my wife. (laughs) I said, do I hear it now? I'm not... May you always be captivated by her love. Pleasure. And I know that's difficult for some of you because, and I'll talk about this a little bit later, because sex has been such a damaging thing in many people's lives. And I understand that. But in its, in its, in its real pure form, it's given as something not just for the procreation of children, but for us to enjoy. And for mutuality, Genesis 2 verse 23, one flesh. You know, the early church had strange views about sex. And um, we, we call these people the early church fathers. They were, they were men and women that were kind of famous in, in the church centuries ago. And they wrote lots of stuff that everyone listened to and read. Thomas Aquinas said this, As long as sex isn't enjoyed, then marriage is acceptable in the eyes of God. That's not God's view. Martin Luther, the great reformer of the 16th century, said intercourse is never without sin, but God excuses it by his grace because the estate of marriage is at work. Again, it's a distorted view of what sex was meant to be about. In fact, the church between the 3rd century and the 10th century would forbid church members from having sex on these days. All right? You weren't allowed to have sex between all those hundreds of years. On a Thursday, because that's the day that Christ was arrested. On a Friday, because that's the day that he was crucified. On a Sunday, because that's the remembrance of the saints. And 40 days of Lent, 40 days of Advent, and 40 days of Pentecost. It only leaves 44 days a year, for goodness sake, okay? And it's not just Christianity that has this view. In my research, I found the Jewish ancient text where they actually prescribe when people in the Jewish faith were meant to have sex. This, I think this is incredible. And, and this, this is what it says, okay? Sailors twice a year. <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry. Camel drivers once a month. 
donkey drivers once a week, laborers twice a week, unemployed every day. I mean, that. <laughs> Sack me now, elders. No, no. That, 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 no, 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 no. I'm joking. That, that totally, that totally, totally redefines unemployment benefits, doesn't it? Do you know what I mean? And, <laughs> pull it back, pull it back. But th- th- this, this kind of view about sex is not what was in the heart of God. So sex is a good thing. I hope you've got that. But, but secondly, sex can be dangerous. You know, these last few weeks we've been looking at dangerous love and it's always been in a positive way, you know, that we're to love God with a dangerous faith and, and a dangerous love and we're to go out into the streets and, you know, and, and reach other people and be dangerous and edgy. And it's always been positive but challenging. But there's another side to the word danger. Not everything that's dangerous should be dived into. And sex can be dangerous when it's out of the context that God intended it to be. And in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 16 to 20, there's an amazing chunk of scripture. And um, I wouldn't preach out of this because I would I'd use like the NIV or another translation. But from the message, this is just really powerful if you read it as a chunk of scripture. So let me just read it to you. Paul says this, There's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much spiritual mystery as physical fact. As written in scripture, the two become one. Since we want to become spiritually one with the master, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever. The kind of sex that can never become one. There's a sense in which sexual sins are different from all others. In sexual sin, we violate the sacredness of our own bodies. These bodies that were made for God-given and God-modeled love, for becoming one with another. Wouldn't you realize that your body is a sacred place? The place of the Holy Spirit. Don't you see that you can't live however you please, squandering what God paid such a high price for? The physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. God owns the whole works. So let people see God in and through your body. I tell you what, if you could read that chunk of scripture every day for a year and just let it soak in. Because we need that kind of truth in us to combat what we see and what we hear and what we experience in our culture, don't we? It's a mystery. It's beautiful. It's spiritual. It's physical. It's emotional. But it's dangerous. It's dangerous. You say, but it's okay because we all know safe sex. As long as it's safe sex, then there's no danger to it. Well, here's my second prop this morning. And um, this is a parachute. In fact, it's not a parachute. It's Dan's rucksack. But it's the closest we could get. And I'm going to use Dan as a, as a, a model. <laughs> to prop you. So I'd like to put that on your back, Dan. And I want you to imagine that, that that is a parachute and that Dan's gone up in a plane and he's 10, 12, 13, let's say 15. 15,000 feet up. 25,000 now. 15,000 feet up. And he's never done it before. And the guy says, jump out, Dan, you'll be fine because that parachute is safe. And Dan says, how safe? And he says, really, really safe. He said, yeah, yeah, but I've never done it before. Please tell me, how safe are we talking about? And the man says, 98% safe. If, if you do everything exactly as I've taught you. You've never done it before, 
but I taught you, if you pull the ripcord cord at the, at the right time, if you're in the right projection with your body and blah, 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 jump, at the, get the timing right, all that. If you do everything right, it's 98% safe. There's a 2% chance that it might not be. But, he says, oh, just before you do that, Dan, but if you don't do everything exactly right, the failure rate will go from 2% up to 26%. Jump. Would you do it? Would you do it? Is that safe? Here's the thing. Condoms are 98% safe, statistically, if you use them exactly right. But the British Medical Association Journal says that mo- a lot of people don't, and the, the average is 26% failure rate with condoms. So please don't tell me that there is any such thing as safe sex, because it's an oxymoron. It doesn't exist. Thanks, Dan. You can take the parachute. Your rucksack back. And I don't just mean from the physical side. You see, the reason that there is no such thing as safe sex is because it's not just the physical issues like pregnancy and STIs and HIV AIDS. There's the emotional aspect. There's the spiritual aspect. You know, one of the things that our young people need to be taught much more than they are, I believe, is that sex is much more than a physical act. And when you talk about safe sex, it doesn't exist because there's so much that happens in that act of having sex. You know, one thing that I'm really, really thrilled about in this church is that Phase Trust, that's part of, you know, based here in the church, and many of the guys that are here this morning, part of this church, that they have a passion to want to reach young people, especially in this area of sexual health, as well as many others. And we're going to pray for them at the end this morning. But the, the guys and girls, they go into schools, and they go into colleges, they do drop ins at colleges, and, and, and people come in and talk about their sexual health issues. They do teaching on the delay program that why don't you wait? Do you know what I mean? Before you can have sex, that is an option after all, it really is. And they go and they do all this kind of stuff. And I'm so thrilled that they do that. Because as Laura said last week, it's really easy, you know, for us to look at situations. And as Christians, we could look at situations and we can say, oh, the, the state of this country is terrible and the sexual immorality is terrible. And we could tut, tut, tut and moan. Or we could say, it is bad, but by God's grace, we want to make a difference. Amen? And so we don't want the salt and the light to stay here in this room. We want it to go out where it's needed. Because there's some really dark places in our culture sexually. And we need some light and I asked the guys if they could give me any kind of stories or feedback of the work that they're doing. And so I'm going to read just a few to you this morning. This is from a year 11 pupil. Through my work with Faze, I've been able to overcome some of my own personal issues. I've been able to improve my self-confidence and I believe this will help me in the future. They helped me find out new information and warn me about how I can affect my own life making wrong decisions. And they showed me better ways to deal with my emotions. From a key stage four pastoral manager who observed the group that were working with our guys. The others in the group appeared to feel more positive, more able to set themselves realistic goals and help to develop their talents, which will help them to achieve their targets academically, but also avoid unhealthy relationships. And then here's one of a girl, a year 10 girl. And the question was, has anything changed about how you regard your sexual health having done these lessons with Faze? And she said this, stopped having sex all the time. Now, I don't know that any of those have become Christians. I don't know that. And that would be amazing. But that's really important in its own right, isn't it? It's really important that we do that. Because sex is dangerous. Outside of God's best context for sex, it's dangerous. Which brings me on to the final point. Sex is so precious, so fantastic. It deserves the best container. I want you to imagine that 
I had plutonium in this container, you wouldn't want me to drop it, would you? It's so dangerous, plutonium, that it needs to be kept in the right kind of container. And I know that many of you are visitors this morning and perhaps you wouldn't class yourself as Christians and what I'm about to say, you might think, what planet are you on, fella? I mean, what planet are you on? But I want to declare that we believe that what God teaches in the Bible is that the best environment, the best context, the best container for sex is heterosexual, monogamous marriage. And I know that's not very popular in our culture and I understand that for some of you this morning you might find that difficult Please don't hear any condemnation from me this morning. Wherever you find yourself in your life, God loves you. And we're committed to you. We want to work with you and help you and support you. But we believe from Scripture that that is the best container for this great gift that God has given us of sex. So there are some questions with this. Well, yeah, but if I'm in a committed relationship, and I mean, mean, why do I need to wait till I'm married? And perhaps for a young person, we're Christians. Why do we need to wait till we're married? And last summer... um, we took a, the youth, there was a whole load of us youth went to Bulgaria and um, 36, 37, 38, I can't remember, we lost a few. It's a big group, it's a big group, give me a break, do you know what I mean? Didn't lose them all, brought most back. But we, we were there and at the end of the trip, we had a, like a day off and we were by the pool and stuff and, and, and one of the young people said to one of our leaders, oh, I don't see anywhere in the Bible where it says that you have to wait. If you're in a committed relationship and you love each other, where does it say in the Bible? And this leader told me, and I got quite passionate about it, and then within 20 minutes I wrote 10 reasons with all the scriptures uh, for all of them, okay? And I'm just going to rattle through it. God says don't do it in the seventh commandment. Do not commit adultery. Sex outside of marriage is adultery. So God says don't do it. That's enough. But there's some more. You're saving something special when you wait. Genesis 2 verse 24. You will be spiritually healthier. Romans 8 verse 8. You will be physically healthier. 1 Corinthians 6 18. You'll be emotionally healthier. Hebrews 13 verse 4. Waiting is a test of true love. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4 to 5. You won't have all that baggage to deal with. Hebrews 12 verse 1. You'll be an example to other people. 1 Timothy 4 verse 12. You won't be fooled by the myths. Sex does not produce intimacy. It springs from it. Sex is not the key indicator of compatibility it's one of them but it's not the key one physical union is emotional and spiritual 1 Corinthians 6 verse 16 and number 10 waiting builds character and that's what ultimately makes a great marriage weight is really important guys really really important Not because God is down on you. Not because God is against you having fun. Not because God doesn't know that you love each other. None of those reasons, and I'll talk about that a little bit later. But how about singleness? And you know, if you are single this morning, I think that the church often responds to single people in two ways. We often say, just accept it and get on with it. You'll have more time to give to the church. Or secondly, Jesus was single. Both of those approaches aren't the best. And I know this morning that I'm the wrong person to talk about singleness with you this morning. I've been married for a long time in Alison and have been together for 30 years this summer. Can you believe it? I'm just not you're old enough, am I? <laughs> all right, okay. All right, I am then, all right. So I'm, I'm the wrong person. I understand that. I understand that. But just in the two minutes that I've got, I just want to say a few things about singleness. Another person will never complete you. You know there's that line in a song or a film somewhere, you complete me. That's rubbish. Don't don't get fooled by that myth. Just having another person in your life does not complete you. God's intent is that we are complete in who we are in Him and then two complete people meet each other and fall in love and then there's a relationship but we're not completed by another person. We're complete when we're in God. 
So don't ever think, oh, well, I'm single, therefore I'm not complete. You are complete. You are complete as an individual in your relationship with God. Secondly, it's better to be on your own than to be with the wrong person. A few, months, a few weeks ago, I was in Albania and I went to a town called Pechin, which is about an hour and a half away from where I was and spoke at a church. Great name of a church, if ever we change this name of a church. Uh, the church is called the House of Happiness. What kind of a name? We're not going to do that. Don't worry about that. And, and I was speaking in this church, lovely church, about 60 people in the church, two men. Two old men in a church of about 60. And there's a group of about five uh, young girls who I know because they come to all the events that they, they do. They're in their mid to late 20s. They're great girls, very passionate, hungry for God, always sit on the front row, always taking notes. And, I'm sit, and, I'm, and then afterwards we had lunch with, with the pastor and with some of these guys as well. And I just said to some of the girls, how do you get on with relationships? You know, because there's you guys, you know, you're 25, 26, 27. There's no Christian men in this church at all, in this town, the church is risen. How do you get on with all that? And do you know what they said to me? They said, we trust God and we wait. Because they committed not to be with someone who wasn't a Christian. And I know that may be really radical for some of you. And I realize some of you are in relationships like that. It's, this is not a statement of condemnation. Just hear my heart. As young people, they say, we believe that our faith is the most important thing to us. It's not an, an, an appendage of our life. It's not like, well, I support Villa and you're a Birmingham fan, so we'll work it out. It's not about that. This is our core identity. This is who we are. And one day when we die, we'll go to heaven. And we'll be with Jesus for eternity. Why would we share our life with a life partner that doesn't believe in those core things like we do? And I thought, and I looked at these girls and I thought, wow, you are really swimming against the, the tide here, aren't you? And I just looked at them and I thought, God, please, please, would you help them and cause them to be strong? And they committed to not dating anyone who wasn't a Christian. That's a powerful statement to me. There's something about your values right at the heart of who you are that causes you to do that. Singleness can be a gift to treasure. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, Sometimes I wish everyone was single like me, but celibacy is not for everyone any more than marriage is. God gives the gift of the single life to some and the gift of the married life to others. I'd also say that the church, we need to be much better towards single people. To be more open and inclusive and make you feel more connected and involved and kind of say you are so valuable to the life of this church. Not because you have more time, some of you don't, but because you are who you are and you are unique and you are complete as a single person. And finally, I'd say you're not at the end of your story. If you're single right now, you are not at the end of your story. God is the author and he holds the pen. So how would God have us respond to all of this today? Well, I've been trying to think of a way to explain uh, kind of how we could respond and some of the issues. And I found this, this clip, which I think is, is really good. And um, it kind of says it all really, if you can understand the metaphor and the image that's being used. I think there's some valuable teaching in this for us. Take a look at the screen. When will we learn to listen to mama? Because mama knows best. And, and, and the point of that there is that how we hear what God says to us is really important as to how we understand it. See, if we hear that God says, don't do that because he's down on us and because he wants to cramp our style and he's not for us, then that's how we'll hear it. But if we know that we're loved by God, if we live loved, if we know that God loves us, whatever we hear from him, we know that's how it comes. Are you with me? So God doesn't say don't do that because he's some kind of mean autocratic headmaster that just wants to cramp our style or that kind of thing. He says that because it's for our own good. 
And when we live loved, when we know we're loved by him, we're able to hear his instructions and hear what he says with completely different ears. So with that in mind, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 1 to 8. This is an incredible passage of scripture again. Paul says, as for other matters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you're living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. Then he goes on to say, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honourable. Then at the end it says, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his spirit. If you know you're loved, if you live loved, if we reject what God says about sex, we're not just rejecting what we might consider outdated information, we're rejecting God. And there are three things, three things I want to say to you. Number one, in your life, aim high. Aim high. You know, it says, um, Paul says there at the beginning, live to please God. Some girls were teasing another girl at school because of the fact that she hadn't had sex. And you know what she said to the other girl? She said, you know, I can be like you whenever I like, but you can never be like me. And can I just say that if you have already fallen, messed up, whatever you want to say, sexually, it is never too late to draw a line and to aim high again. Don't be convinced by the lie of the enemy that says, oh, you've already done this. Look at what you've done in your life. You could never be pure again because that's not true. That is a lie from the enemy. That is not how God views you at all. It is never too late to aim high again. So in your life, aim high. Secondly, in your morals, stay strong. The will of God is for us to be holy, not to be discreet. And I love the way that Laura last week talked about the word justify. If you remember, if you were here, she said the word justify. And what it means is that whatever we really want in our heart, we just convince in our head that that's okay. There's nothing like that when it comes to this whole issue. And we as Christians sometimes, we justify in our heads what we really want in our heart and we say it's okay. I was reading some other research this week from a Christian counselor in the States. And she was talking about some of the Christian people she's met who've justified their sexual immorality. People who were in affairs who said things like, well, God has given me two people to love. Someone else who said, it's okay because every time we have sex, we pray together and that makes it okay. Can I say, folks, that's not okay. That's delusion. It's delusion. So let's stay strong with our morals. And can I say, this is not just about affairs. You're talking about pornography and masturbation and what we watch on TV and on on the computer and all these kind of things. We have to make a choice whether we're going to swim in that sea of our culture or whether we're going to live out the Word of God. And if you're a Christian today, and I don't care if you've been a Christian for years or for weeks or for days, if you're a Christian, I want to call you to aim high and to stay strong. And you won't do it on your own. You won't do it on your own. We need one another to hold each other accountable. In your life group notes this week, every week in life group, we've been trying to do a dangerous love challenge. So that's interesting on my week, isn't it? Talking about this one. I've given you two dangerous love challenges. One is that the next time you see or hear something of a sexual nature on TV or on the radio to switch it off or to walk away. That's the first challenge. The second challenge is, is and I think 99% of you won't do this. You just won't do it. The second challenge is to find someone you know and you trust and share with them the area that you're vulnerable sexually. 
and ask them to hold you to account. And there are some resources I've given in the notes. There's some website resources you can use. There are some books. We've got a whole load of books that we can, we can help you with. If you've got any really difficult, complex issues, then you can book to see Dan. That's fine. And um, <laughs> we can... Joking. But we want to help. That's what I'm saying. We want to help. I'm going to say we don't help necessarily from a position of strength. We help from a position of identification because we also struggle with these issues and we need to make sure we've got people in our lives that are helping us. So in your life, aim high. Secondly, in your morals, stay strong. And thirdly, in your thinking, be really clear. Verse 7 and 8, it says, if you, if, you re, if you reject this instruction, you're rejecting God. See, our young people are growing up in a dualistic world. So what a lot of our young people think now, okay, is that we can go to church on a Sunday and we can worship or we can go to Soul Survivor and get all excited and then we can go to a club and get totally off our heads with alcohol, sleep with whoever we want to, but it's okay because we can worship God with passion. Can I say lifestyle and belief are inseparable? And God says if you reject the lifestyle and the instruction, then you're rejecting me. And actually what makes our worship powerful is not that we're perfect, but it's that we mean it when we say it, not just in that space, but in our whole life. So in your thinking, be clear. And I want to finish by just giving a little word to different ones of you, to the married amongst you. And I know many of you are married. And often we don't talk about marriage in this church because we're very conscious that we don't want to alienate single people. In fact, sometimes we're so conscious of that that I don't think we talk enough about marriage. So hear my heart in that. We genuinely do not want to alienate you if you're not married. But we don't often talk about marriage, and we should do. Can I say, if you're married, please talk about sex. It's often the elephant in the room in married relationships. And can I say that you don't have to have sex to have a great married relationship? I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. But I do believe that sex can be and should be, in many ways, a vital part. So please talk about it. Get help if needs be. To the single amongst you, I want to say, honour God, live loved, We value you. You're not at the end of your story. And you know what? Please don't ever suck, kind of of get sucked in by those lies that say, if only you had a relationship, then you'd be all this complete person because that's not necessarily the truth. And we'd say that, honour God and live love. To the young, oh man, aim high guys. You're swimming against the tide. And your sexual purity is absolutely vile. And if you've already lost it, let me say, God will not restore your virginity, but he will restore your purity. And it is never too late to start again and to aim high with him. And to the fallen, those that may have fallen sexually, either recently or in the past, I want to say a few things. Repent, which means take responsibility for what's happened. Receive. You know, God says in Isaiah 1 verse 18, let's settle this matter once and for all. You're stained red with sin, but I will wash you as clean as snow. Relate, find some good friends that you can be accountable to. Resist, don't put yourself back in those situations where you know it's difficult for you. And then remember that God could not love you any more or any less than he loves you right now. You know, I love that about God, don't you? I love that about God, that God accepts me. You know, we, 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 again, we, we fall in with that lie that says because we've sinned sexually, there's something that comes with the shame and the guilt of that. Or because something sexual has happened to us, the shame and the guilt of that, that God would somehow want to turn himself away from us and yet God has arms, arms open. Just think of the prodigal son. You know, he spent all of his money on prostitutes and on drinking and he ended up with the pigs, unclean animals in Jewish law. 
He came back smelling of all that, looking like that's exactly what he did. What did the man do? He picked up his skirt, because that's what they used to wear. And he was a rich man, and they never used to run in those days. But he didn't care about etiquette. He didn't care about anything. He ran passionately towards his son. He threw himself on him, and he kissed him. There is nothing that you can do that will keep God away from you if you're moving towards God. And so I want to ask the guys to come back, and we're going to pray. And we're going to pray for a few people here this morning. And um, I'm going to ask that as we do this, that we just kind of enter into this with me, folks, for a moment. The first people I want to pray for is I want to pray for Faze. And we have a few of the workers here with us this morning, and Vicky as well, and Charlene and Jane and Laura. So would you just stand with me? I don't know whether Jonathan's in, he might be in Excel. Or here he is, okay, and Pete here as well. And if you're around these guys, would you just stand and just gather around them for a moment? Would you do that? And I want to just pray for them. And I want to pray for them specifically because they get the opportunity and the privilege to do what none of us can do really, which is to go into some environments and to be salt and light in this area. Now we can all do that wherever we are, but they specifically are being contracted right now by different organisations to deliver sexual health training and teaching, which is an amazing opportunity. So we want to pray. Father, we thank you for this great door that you've opened up for your kingdom. And Lord, we pray for Jane and for Charlene and Vicky and Laura and for Pete, for Jonathan, for Tom. We just pray for all of these amazing people who have a passion to see your truth impacting into young people's lives. And Lord, we pray for protection for them. We pray for uh, finance to come even more, Lord, so that we can do more. But more than any of that, Lord, we pray that every time they interact with a young person, we pray that that young person will receive truth, will receive help, and will receive hope. And Lord, we pray that you'd be with them in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're under 25, and I know this gets a little patronising when we do this, but I'm sorry. Would you stand with me as well if you're under 25? And please, I know that these issues are relevant if you're 25 and a half or 26, all right? We just got to start. So I want us to pray for our young people. Is that all right? Is everyone up for that? Can we do that? So again, if you're standing around, and if you'd gather around some of our young people, and let's pray over these guys. Oh, Lord, we want to pray. For our young people here this morning, Lord, we thank you for them. And Lord God, we pray that by the power of the Spirit, Lord, they would know that they are loved. We pray that they would live loved. Lord, that just like Becky's story, that they wouldn't have that whole thing about, if only I had a relationship, if only I gave myself to somebody, then I'd be more loved. God, that's a lie from the enemy. And we pray that they would resist that lie in Jesus' name. We pray that they would hold on to their purity. And Lord, we pray that if they fall, if they fail, they would hold on to the fact that you are the God who restores, who heals and who forgives. And we pray it is never too late to draw a line and say, I am going to aim high and I'm going to stay strong and I'm going to think clear on these issues. So Lord, we pray for our young people. We pray for our youth leaders and parents and teachers. And we pray that together we would raise a generation, Lord Jesus, that are not addicted to sex, but are created to love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Third one I want to do is, if you're married, I'd like you to stand. I want to pray for marriages this morning. Wow. 
Father, why don't you lift your hands with me, guys? God, when, um, when marriage as an institution is under such threat, Lord, we bring our marriages to you and we ask you, Lord God, for help. We ask you, Lord, for some of us for hope. We ask for the power of your spirit. We ask, Lord Jesus, that you would fill our marriages with your presence. Lord, I pray especially for marriages here where perhaps both partners are not Christians. There's some incredible difficulty there. God, would you bless those people, I pray. Would you be in that relationship? Would you, would you just pour your oil into that relationship? Would you just help them, I pray. If ever we come across as being condemning or, or insensitive, God, forgive us. But Lord, I pray that our marriages would be stronger. Lord, all marriages, marriage is a God-given institution, whether you're Christian or not. Marriage is instituted by God. And Lord, we pray that our marriages would be stronger, healthier, life-giving, we pray in Jesus' name. And can we all stand then, please? Can we all stand? And I just want to pray, and I don't want to embarrass you, so I don't want to do this on your own, but I want to just to pray if you've been divorced, or if you've been broken through relationships, then I want to pray for you, but I don't want to embarrass you by asking you to stand. So let me just pray for you. Father, I pray this morning for anyone here in this room who has come through or going through the pain of a broken relationship or broken marriage. God, I want to pray that you would be with them. Lord, I believe that your heart is full of compassion for the broken. You have compassion on those who are broken. Lord, your word says that a bruised reed you will not break and a smoldering wick you will not snuff out. God, we sometimes come through things we feel bad enough and we think that you're going to be down on us. God, you're not down on us. And Lord, I pray that for anyone who's coming through or has been through the brokenness of a broken relationship, Lord, I pray that you'd heal them, restore them, give them hope again, I pray. And let them find a community and a family here within the church that can build life and hope within them again. And Lord, I pray that they keep looking to you. You're the author of their story. You hold the pen. And they're not at the final page of their story yet by a long shot. So Father, would you help them, I pray. And Lord, for any of us this morning that may have fallen sexually in the past or even recently or even right now. And I sense this at the nine o'clock and I sense it again. Some of us right now are dabbling with stuff, with relationships and with stuff. And we know we are close to the edge of really crossing a line. God would say to you, get away from the line. Get away from the line. God, I pray that even this morning that you would do something in us that causes not just to hear the word, but to do something about it, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. We stay standing. We're going to sing a song. The guys are going to lead us in a song as we finish. And please don't switch into, oh, this is the last song mode. Okay, and we're done with that because God is here by His presence. And this song is all about the love of God that never runs out and that never gives up, that never fails. And as we sing about His love, receive His love again today, will you? Just receive His love again today. And if God has spoken to you about issues in your life, please don't leave it here. Take it with you. Ask for some help. Get some prayer. Talk to your life group. Come and talk to us. Talk to Jesus, but get some help. It is so, so important.